Czechcast, a podcast in English about Czech and Moravian society, history, culture and economy. Welcome to Czechcast. I'm Vít Pohanka and today I have the privilege of hosting Martin Dvořák, a member of the Czech cabinet under Prime Minister Petr Fiala. He holds a unique rapport with the Czech community, especially in the United States, though not limited to it. We should be in very close, closest touch with those group of enthusiasts. They are keeping Czech heritage somewhere abroad because they are presenting our culture and our traditions and our food and our Czechs expats. They are staying in not only New York, but in all America. There are many of uh, expatriates groups and they are amazing because they are keeping some tradition what we already lost here in Czechia, <laughs> what I really love. Martin Dvořák is not your typical politician. His remarkable journey began in 1989 amidst the collapse of communism in this country. Mocenské nástroje strany zůstávají nebo přecházejí do rukou neostalinistů. As Václav Havel, the subsequent president, addressed the mass demonstrations in Prague during the Velvet Revolution, Martin Dvořák, then a young, obscure economist at a meat processing plant in eastern Bohemia, was making his mark. He played a pivotal role in establishing the local branch of the Civic Forum, a broad coalition of non-communist entities in the nation. This coalition then seized control following the country's first democratic elections in 1990. Martin's role catalyzed his rapid ascent, from the mayor of Hradec Králové, one of the biggest cities in the regions, to holding esteemed diplomatic positions in Washington DC, New York and Kuwait City, and ultimately to the top tiers of Czech politics. But Martin's tale doesn't stop there. He acquired first an experience in Kosovo post the 1999 war and later in Iraq following the Second Gulf War, serving as a part of the International Reconstruction Administration. I had the pleasure of meeting him in his office shortly after he was appointed the Czech Minister for European Affairs in the spring of 2023. Now Martin, let me ask you, when you became involved in politics all those years ago, was there a plan that you were going to make it to the top? Definitely not. I've got involved in, in politics long time before the Velvet Revolution. I was, let's say, some political person, zone political, however you call it. We were spending a lot of time with a political debate with my father, with my brother. And we, to be absolutely fair, I guess we didn't believe, we, did, we, we didn't believe that some change is possible. We just discuss how to survive, not to lose your face, not to lose your character, not to lose your backbone. <laughs> and uh, I was somehow mentally prepared and educated by my, my family, by my circles, by my friends. And then it happened, nobody expected and nobody expected it will, it will be done within three months or three weeks, in fact, three weeks. Yeah, so, and uh, It was some specific situation because I was sentenced, or not sentenced, jailed by, by Palakia, uh, Palak's week, mm -hmm. by the beginning of 89. 
and it was start of my falling down in 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 my not career but in my position in uh, in company in which I worked this time it was a meat company. So I I switch from from the office from planning office to to uh, to the slaughterhouse. Uh, I began to be a manual worker, and shortly after that, it was a small small company, you know. So everybody knew the story, and very shortly after ten months, changes came, and of course the people from the company start to come to me. You you are the leader now. You are you were the victim of their of their power. So now you should lead us. It was absolutely stupid. I was not ready for it. <laughs> but I became to head of civic forum in a meat company and then a member of economic section of civic forum in the city of Hradec Kraval, etc., etc. So I somehow entered into this kind of politics, business, not just debate. <laughs> and then uh, there was a period of, of uh, round tables, changes of, of uh, leaders of regional and territorial and municipal uh, offices or uh, uh, entities. So I became a deputy of head of a department in, in April 1990. It was not elected, it was a result of negotiation with the yeah. Communist Party. And in this time I had some anti-communist Issues with with a seat of, of head, headquarter of uh, Communist Party in Hradeckrau, etc., etc. So I was somehow known in in Hradeckrau, and that's I was one of those who were put in the candidate list by first election in December 1990, and I didn't expect not even to be elected, <laughs> but there were two potential candidates for the mayor's post, mayor's office. They were about 60, I'm saying 61, 65. Both of them refused to do that, to accept. And then someone said, what about Martin? And I was seeing this, <laughs> look, on, on me, on all of them. And I said, okay, if you will name the board a primator Dvořák, I will do that. <laughs> uh, I don't have the board yet, <laughs> but it happened. So uh, it was easy because uh, the first election, you know, it was of, uh, we were in the common candidates, not only a civic forum, but also some social democrats and green and huge democratic block. So we got a huge majority and it was clear that one of us will be the mayor. So I was indirectly elected by the municipal council. So it was pretty easy to get a, to, to be a mayor, to be elected as a mayor by first time. What I am more proud of is my re-election after four years because it was already some kind of result or some mirror of my job for four years. So being re-elected, I guess it was some message sort of for confirmation. Me. Yeah, yeah. Of, of message your, for me that maybe I'm not doing so bad. Of your competence. So you remained the mayor of Hradec Králové for eight years, eight years, right? And then, and now let me turn the page a little bit because I remember that I spoke to you for the first time when I interviewed you in 2001. I think, I might be wrong, I think it was in Kosovska Mitrovica, it might have been somewhere right. else. Uh, and I interviewed you because you were part of the international kind of reconstruction yep. teams. How did you get there? It's a long story, I will try to make it as, as short as possible. Uh, as a mayor, I was put in some list of European Commission then, no, European Council, sorry, European Council, because we didn't have the regions then. The, 
Then Council of Europe. Council yeah. of Europe. Council yeah. of Europe. Yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah. Council mm -hmm. of Europe. So, and we, we didn't have a regions in this moment, so just a mayors of the biggest cities were uh, officially appointed as a members or, or substitutes in this re region chamber. So I was somewhere in the database. I didn't know even about it. <laughs> and I'd never been in Strasbourg, neither in Brussels, never. But then, just after I finished, few days after I finished at the, at the municipal hall, I've got the letter from them that, look, we are looking for someone who has experience with the transition period and with the local government. Do you know someone, Mr. Vosager? I said, yes, I do. And this, actually, he's free and available if you are interested. So I sent my, my CV and some pictures, I don't know, some documents, and they adopted me. So. How was it? How do you remember the time that you spent in Kosovo? I would say this is one of the nicest time in my life because... I really felt that what I am doing makes some sense and is helpful. Because I came into Kosovo in October 1999, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I Suddenly I became to be a, a local administrator for a village of Istok, or Komune Istok, which is several villages together. And 70% of this area was burned out. No houses, no accommodation for the people, for kids, for other people. No schools, of course, no nothing, no banks. <laughs> so, and my first, first goal was to keep the people safe before the winter is coming. I didn't know that time how cute it might be the uh, winter there. So, uh, and I, every morning I came into this my village and I, I, I saw some new rooftops and I've seen something is going well. I am helping, I'm helping the people they really need it. Of course, start of my career in Hrvatskrala is also some kind of challenging because many people should be changed, but still, it is not the same. The city in so visible, yeah? city of Red Skralove was working, was living in normal life, just step by step, a little bit, maybe changing for better. But this one is complete change. So it gives me a feeling that finally I am doing something what I can just every day look around and say, yeah, this is fine. We did this and we did this. So, and. You might know, I am actually a honorary citizen of Istok, so maybe the people also understand that I'm trying to work with them and help them. So this was something very, very... Rewarding, maybe, would be the word? Maybe, way. rewarding, might be, maybe. Satisfactioning. Mm -hmm. Satisfactory, uh, etc. <laughs> I, I don't want to dwell too much on, on Kosovo, but these days, because at the time that we are talking, there were, again, you know, some uh, problems, some uh, clashes. How do you look back at that? Because I, when I think of Kosovo, I become sad. I think you already said that. And uh, when my kids ask me about it, I say that the creation of Kosovo and uh, the independence was the best of the bad solutions of the situation. And let me just add that I was in uh, Belgrade last year in Serbia, mm -hmm. and the Serbs still really understand that, you know, Kosovo is theirs. I mean, the, the, and it's with profound sadness, you know, that I hear the news from Kosovo. How is it with you? Two days ago, I had a meeting with uh, Vice Premier of Kosovo. Saw that on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the lady was pretty tough, describing the situation in the special North, North Kosovo. 
And uh, also, I have to say that in my last capacity of Deputy Minister of uh, Foreign Affairs, I visited during our presidency several times Western Balkan, including Kosovo and Serbia, etc. And uh, I said it several times. Uh, after 15 or 17 years, I came back and I've seen the huge development of, let's say, hardware, roads, buildings, hotels, railway, airports, everything. It's really huge change, amazing. But speaking with the people was very, very frustrating because I've never, ever before heard so much skepticism and frustration and disillusion and lost hope. And uh, I'm trying to repeat to everyone who I'm speaking to, we cannot afford to let them behind. Balkan is too near to our border and we cannot afford to have some kind of instability and potential new clash so near to us. What I see as, as, a, as a trouble is that I think I understand my Balkanian friends, not only Kosovo's, that they got feeling that they are doing their best and they didn't get a positive answer from our side. We are feeling that they are still not doing enough to be a regular members of European House and they don't understand us and we don't understand them. And then also we have count on the huge, huge, huge influence of Russia via Serbia, via Bosnia, the Republic of Srpska, etc., etc. Because also Russia knows that it is a very important part of Europe in which we have another battlefield and we are competing. And not only Russia, there is China, there is uh, Arabic countries, etc., Turkey. <laughs> so my recommendation, if I am in, in, in charge, but I'm not, my recommendation would be let's keep them on track. Let's show them the light at the end of the tunnel. They need to know that they still have a hope and they are on the right track. They are losing this, this feeling. They are more and more skeptical and saying, you don't care about us. What is something what, once again, we cannot afford. You are listening to Czechcast with Martin Dvořák, Czech Minister for European Affairs and seasoned diplomat. Okay, let me jump a little bit in your CV, and um, I'm, I'm sorry, that, but I have to make this kind of longer introduction. So, from the mayor of Hradec, you become uh, uh, an international civil servant, let's, let's say, in Kosovo. Then you come back and you work for Ministry of Foreign Affairs, correct me if I'm wrong. Among other things, you get to Ukraine for the presidential elections in 2004, which were contested, and uh, by the start of the Orange Revolution, you came there as an OSCE, Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, observer. I mean, not, uh, not, uh, uh, you were not working for them. And then you go to Washington, D.C., at the embassy in 2005, if I remember correctly. Then you come back to the Czech Republic, and uh, there's, a, there's a little interplay when you are a candidate to become ambassador in Tirana, if I remember correctly, which doesn't work out, and we don't want to go into that. I mean, why it didn't work out? Because President Klaus didn't like you very much. But you become a consul general in New York instead of going to Tirana. <laughs> And I forgot actually to mention Iraq, of course, where you worked for the internet. I skipped Iraq as well. Then uh, you come back from New York after several years and you go to become uh, an ambassador in Kuwait, right? 
Then you come back, you become a candidate for uh, Stan, one of the major parties, which are now part of the coalition government. You do not get elected, but you become the deputy foreign minister. And now I'm speaking to you as a, as a minister for European affairs. And I'm, I'm trying to be brief here. Yeah? <laughs> but Martin, hey, I mean, what a ride. It's a funny story, isn't it? <laughs> Listening to it, I have to laugh because really it's hard to understand and hard to believe. So, yeah, you, you describe it. So what can I add? I suppose my question would be, which part of this ride do you remember most fondly? All of them. I'm yeah. diplomatic. <laughs> All of them were nice and uh, I should answer as a diplomat everywhere I like it. And, in fact, I do. I did. Because each this mission or, or appointment was somehow interesting with something specific. Kosovo, I already described. It was maybe the most satisfying job what I have ever done. Then Iraq. I was pretty sure, maybe I was wrong at that time, I'm not sure. But I was sure that I'm again on the right side and I'm helping, I'm doing something what I need to. And it was, of course, brand new and very strong experience with a completely different part of the planet, with different culture, different people. On the other hand, also I understood more and more that whenever you came, there are people with a different language, different religion, but with very similar human troubles. And we should understand each other. And we have so much in common, so much what we are sharing, despite we don't understand it. So this was, for example, for me, the strongest experience from my first visit to, to MENA region. Then America. <laughs> you know, uh, I have to say that my, my, my appointment to, to Iraq was temporary agreement, just, uh, just for six months it should be, and it was. And then I've got this proposal offer to continue as a, as a permanent member of the Czech Diplomatic Corps, and I was happy to do that. And the first appointment was Washington, D.C., after some short period of negotiation. And again, brand new experience with completely unknown culture. It's not exactly because I spent five weeks in 1991 in America uh, being a guest of USAID as a mayor with a group of Czech and Slovak mayors. But it was not that brand new. But anyway, new, new challenges, new experiences so as, as a diplomat is also completely different. <laughs> and you have to, to learn always to start from the very beginning. So what I would like to say is always for me the biggest challenge and biggest advantage because your mind is keeping going. <laughs> you, you cannot sleep and you cannot stop. So, and America is, of course, an amazing country with a lot of troubles, a lot of problems. We know both of us, we know that they have. But for me, still is some kind of the best picture of real democracy. Maybe Britain is a different mining, <laughs> but for example, one, one experience from America I do have is Americans are the most naive <laughs> nation all around the world because they really believe in the values <laughs> and they are able even to suffer for it. What we are maybe not exactly prepared to do the same. And it, is, it was something that was inspirative for me for, in America. The people, what I met, of course, well, I didn't speak to everyone, but the people what I met, basically believed in 
these shared common values in democracy, in freedom, especially in freedom, that what is the highest value for them. Uh, in this moment, I, I've got some idea that the highest value in America is freedom, comparing with Europe, where the highest value is solidarity. And this is also important because if you don't stay in this region or this uh, continent in, not long enough, you maybe don't understand where is the difference between us and Americans. And to be absolutely fair, I was not too much enthusiastic to be a uh, business counselor. <laughs> but the experience was great. And also I had a lot of uh, possibilities and opportunities to meet very important people to discuss with people, they really were leaders. <laughs> so this was something. Then came New York, my, my permanent love, and uh, I, I love this Steinbeck's sentence that one bad day in New York is still better than any good day everywhere else. <laughs> and I, I've got the same feeling, and I fell in love in New York, not only this this period, but my first my first visit in 1991. So I think in my previous life somewhere I must be in New York <laughs> because I, I felt here I am really home, at home. So this is this is place where I should be. Of course, Prague is wonderful. Hradec is nice. I'm I'm professional patriot of Hradec Králové, but you know, this is a city. I regrettably now I'm hearing some some messages that maybe New York after COVID is not like it used to be, change, things are going to be changed, not exactly for good, but uh, I'm looking forward to visit New York soon again, I hope it will be possible. And then uh, you describe my restart politically. I, I can tell you, uh, in Kuwait, okay, uh, Kuwait is a very specific period of my life because of COVID. Kuwait, and Might you be. Were there, you were there when I, the were, COVID I was there with my wife. Started, and the the restrictions were very very tough in Kuwait. Absolutely, so it was locked down like maybe only in China was stronger. <laughs> so we were closed in my in our apartment without any chance to go out, and it was too long. And of course, this is something that definitely must influence you feeling from this country. So regrettably, I didn't have a time enough to, to realize, to, to finish or finalize many of my projects. And this is kind of frustration. But on the other hand, once again, this specific region is always at least challenging and inspirative in some issues. So I, I also, I met so many, before COVID started, so many nice, smart, very well-educated people, Arabs. But we were able to communicate, to discuss, and to, to explain what we are feeling differently and why. It was, it was something very interesting. So, yeah, whatever I did, I was happy to do that. And now, back to my political career, uh, I was not very happy and satisfied to serve as a servant for the previous government. So I decide, once my last mission to Kuwait is over, I will finish and I will get retired. I, I did. I left Ministry of Foreign Affairs in July 21, uh, got retired, and then I take part, took part in, in, uh, in the campaign, not being elected. I thought, finally, <laughs> I will rest. Time to retire, time to relax. 
a time for my grand grandchildren and, and maybe some tennis and bicycle bicycle etc. And it didn't happen because a very good friend of mine, Vitek Rakushan, called me <laughs> he needs some help. And uh, I I refused several times, but he's too good friend to me <laughs> to refuse him several times, or many times. So finally I said, okay, for one year I will I will try to help you, I will do my best because I have some Resentiments to to Czech diplomacy. So, just to be sure that the people who listen understand. I mean, then you became the deputy minister deputy of foreign of foreign, foreign affairs. affairs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I became to be a deputy minister of foreign affairs, and I really saw that it is just for one year. So I didn't make any long term plans. I didn't find any new accommodation in Prague. <laughs> just in some temporary. Uh, but then the things were going. Going on, so I finally also, but after discussion with my wife, I decided, okay, so I will try to help this this new government as much as I can up until end of this election period. And once I decide to stay, I was easier to be catch <laughs> by by Vitek again when we got this uh, trouble with with appointment of Minister of uh, Education. He got sick, refused, resigned, and there was necessary to make some changes. So, being asked again by by head of our party, I said, "Okay, if you don't have any better solution, I will try to do my best." To be a minister for foreign, uh, uh, sorry, to be a minister for, for European affairs of yeah. uh, of this uh, of this government. As we talked about your previous appointments and your post, diplomatic post, we are talking about non-European countries. Of course, Kosovo is a European country, but that's Not outside EU of European country. EU. What can you, as a person with your such rich experience, but from outside of Europe, bring to this job, which is mainly about EU? First of all, um, in Washington, I spent our first presidency in a position of uh, business counselor, and I was in charge for five or six of these working groups, Beginning by agri-fish, <laughs> was very fine for me. I didn't understand it at all. This was the the first half of 2009, if I remember correctly. Yeah, exactly, 2009, and so it was my first real touch with with uh, reality of EU, with all of this bureaucracy and mechanism and uh, milestones and goals and etc. Uh, etc. Et it's, it's a huge huge matter material. Um, so, but. Then you are right. I spent basically my time out of EU, and to be honest, I was happy <laughs> not to be <laughs> in charge and to deal with all of this very complicated material. So yeah, uh, but you ask me what I can bring mm -hmm. with this experience. Maybe it could be one of my small sm advantages, and it is I'm coming from outside. You know the proverb: "Expert is someone who is coming from other cities." So, like, like the American, American candidates party. for president say, "You are here to 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 clear the swamp." Yeah. <laughs> like but uh, I have to say, first of all, that the presidency was the most challenging period of this office, and it was not in my hand. It was by my predecessor, Mikulaj Beck, and I should repeat: he and all his governmental team made a huge job. Right now. Uh, what I can bring to this position, maybe it's my experience with negotiation and looking for compromise, for conciliation solution. I don't know how to how to call it, but the longer the, the older elder I am, 
the more I am looking for some harmonizing of debate. I am not anymore fighting for first <laughs> word. So I think I might be, because I am one of the oldest players in this, I might be the one who can say sometimes, look guys, calm down. This is not like this. Let's find solution, not compete among us because we need to find solution which is acceptable for everyone. So maybe this kind of, let's say, stability or harmony-looking ability <laughs> might be something what I can bring as a person. Of course, my expertise is uh, not perfect, it's not yet. I am trying to, to look around as soon as possible to understand what is going on with who, who is playing with whom, who is playing against whom, uh, and also to understand everything what I didn't understand before because it was not necessary for me to know whatever is going on in Brussels. So I'm trying to understand and learn as soon as possible. You are listening to Checkcast with Martin Dvořák. Czech Minister for European Affairs and seasoned diplomat. If we might, at the, at the end of this interview, go back to the United States. I actually remembered before coming here today that last time I spoke to you was in 2013 in the Bohemian National Hall in New York. And we were talking about the building, how it got rebuilt by the Czech Republic, if it is used, you know, as it could be potentially kind of fulfilled. I think you will probably think the answer pretty obvious, but let me ask you, why is it important that a country such as Czech Republic takes care for the relationship with the Czechs who came to America perhaps a long time ago, or the younger generation of Czech expats living in New York? Many people came there for their jobs. Why is it important? Uh, there are maybe different answers or reasons for it. One which is maybe regrettably less and less important is our communication or relation with, with uh, expatriates, expats. Our Czechs, expats, they are still staying in, in uh, not only New York, but in all America. There are many of uh, expatriates groups, uh, not only in New York. And they are amazing because they are keeping some tradition what we already lost here in Czechia, <laughs> what I really love. Uh, so this is one, one reason we should be in very close, uh, closest touch with those group of enthusiasts. Enthusiasts, they are keeping Czech heritage somewhere abroad because they are presenting our culture and our traditions and our food. And the second one, maybe more and more important right now in this time, is to be present, to be visible, to show the best what us Czechs are able to present to New Yorkers. What is something different than what we could present in Chicago and something different what we would present in LA, for example. So each of these islands of, of our Czech presence is a little bit different, is focused on a little bit different address. But especially in New York, you know that. It, the city is asking always for something very, very special. And I am really sure that in the Bohemian National Hall and 73rd East, we are able to show how very special and attractive partners we could be and we are in culture, in, in uh, uh, food, of course, a meal in the restaurant. But in, in, uh, we, we can present our Czech companies. And this is something what 
for me, does have a sense without any doubt. We need to be present as, you know, for example, if, if you have uh, this official congresses or official affairs or something, it's very hard to say how much it costs and what are the benefits, real benefits, but everybody is going there because it's necessary to be present. If you are not, you are dead. So this is something what I think makes sense and make uh, some reason for, for work and, and to be to be uh, in 73rd East. Well, Martin, thank you very much for your time. You've been very generous and I do hope that uh, you will like this job as much as you did like the previous jobs. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Czechast. You've just heard from Martin Dvořák, Czech Minister for European Affairs and seasoned diplomat. Stay tuned for our next episode, where I interview Igor Lukes, historian, professor at Boston University and author of On the Edge of the Cold War, American Diplomats and Spies in Postwar Prague. He has a plethora of captivating tales and even shares some insights on iconic locations that played a role in Prague's espionage history. Number two, Loretanske náměstí, just uh, very, very close to the Foreign Ministry Chernin Palace um, building. Uh, same square where Loreta is. And number two is where the American military mission was, which masked itself as one or another institution, but the STB knew from the get-go that the guy in charge was Charles Katek, and they knew well of him because he was US intelligence uh, already in London during World War II, and he was very open about what his line of work was. He was a spy, and he didn't mind if you knew it. <laughs> New episodes of Czechast are released weekly. Your feedback and suggestions are highly appreciated. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please hit the like button and subscribe to Checkast on your go-to listening platform. This is Vít Pohanka, signing off for Radio Prague International. Checkast, a podcast in English about all things Czech. Whether you're an English-speaking expat living in Czechia and Slovakia or a descendant of the Czechs, Moravians and Slovaks who left for a better life in America, Australia, Britain or Canada so long ago that you don't speak the language of the old country, this podcast in English is for you.